Hello and welcome to Helpline on Feed, Play, Love. This is the first of um, a new thing we're doing here on Feed, Play, Love. We're going to be looking at relationships on Helpline. Normally, if you join us, we're talking about babies and we have Mothercraft nurse Chris Minogue. But on this episode, we have Kirsty Levin from the Parents Village. Kirsty is a counsellor and she works with families much in the same way Chris does, but she works with the adults. Absolutely. Well, welcome, Kirsty. It's lovely to have you here. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. And of course, Helpline is the same as it has always been. Uh, it's your opportunity to ask Kirsty your questions. This time, however, you may want to be asking questions about your relationships that may have changed since having a baby. And we know that babies do change relationships. This could be anything from your partner to your friends, to your family, your mother-in-law, um, your sisters-in-law, whoever it is. Uh, I'm pretty sure Kirsty has the same kind of experience that Chris has with relationships because she's dealing with this all day, every day. And she also has two children and a partner herself. So she's dealing with it in her own life. So the same way you can get in touch with us if you're watching us via Facebook Live, just pop your comments below in the comments section. You can also still email us at helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. You can feel free to be anonymous. We know it can be sensitive sometimes. You may choose to email if that's the case. You can also call us on 1800 543 Let's get stuck into it because yeah, we've got some good ones. Good. This is, they're all anonymous, I should say, before mm-hmm. we start. These mm-hmm. have all been emailed to us. Uh, it says, Dear Kirsty, my partner won't help with the kids after he's gone to bed at night. This was our agreement from the start. He would work and I would stay home and raise our babies. But I just had no idea how full-on parenting 24-7 could be. And now I'm feeling really overwhelmed and, if I'm honest, really resentful of my husband's stance on this. He works full-time as an accountant with a little overtime occasionally and obviously the time travel, travel time to and from work, up to an hour each way. I know he's busy and tired and his work is important both for us and his clients, but he won't help me out with our baby and toddler through the night because I am the stay-at-home parent while he needs his sleep to go to work the next day. This is what we agreed upon before our kids came along, but honestly, sometimes I feel like this is not fair. I also work hard each day and night with our babies. I'm so very desperate for a break, some sleep, some time to myself. What can I do? I'm feeling like I feel like I'm letting him down, but I'm just so over it. Mm, that's a really good one. There are so many different little things at play there that sort of accumulate and build up to create that sense of resentment. So I think um, in unpacking that sort of concern, it looks like there's mismatched expectations potentially. Um, a lack of open communication on what the changing needs are. And let's face it, if you make an agreement on how you're going to deal with life as parents with kids before you have kids, my goodness, you really need to adjust and renegotiate as time goes by once you've had kids because you've got no idea really what to expect, do you? Yeah, that's right. um, It's very hard to stick to that plan of attack before you've been in the actual situation for real. So I think um, there's probably a real need for the two people to come together and set aside some time um, and make an agreement that they would set aside some time to actually nut this out and discuss it because underlying that resentment um, on the, the mum's part is really an unmet need and a call out for help. Um, clearly they're being stretched to their limits and they need to renegotiate the boundaries a little bit. And perhaps on the partner's side, he has some 
um, misunderstandings or misconceptions about what the load of being a full-time parent really looks and feels like day to day. So it might be important for them to sit down and unpack that from all those different angles for the mum to actually say, look, I really need to express to you some of my concerns, my anxieties, um, and not coming at it from an attacking perspective, um, an aggressive or an attacking or resentful point of view, but just literally pouring out your needs and um, the fact that they're they're feeling really lonely or they're feeling really stretched and fatigued. Um, and then calling upon what they're hoping to change by going through a bit of a negotiation process. And perhaps in order to negotiate some new territory there and a new agreement, there might need to be a little bit of exposure to what it feels like to be a full-time stay-at-home parent. And perhaps the dad hasn't had enough exposure to being at home with the kids by themselves to really understand how it stretches them. Um, So there could be a a little bit of practice involved in order to come to a point of renegotiation so that he can realise what it actually feels like and understand how taxing it really can be. I always find that mums or whoever is a stay-at-home parent, the one that's at work gets it when that person goes away. Like for even for a weekend, they're like, I don't know how you do this. It's like, exactly. That's exactly right. And look... I think that's the same for any job in life. You don't know what a job's going to be like until you are in it full time. Whether it's parenting or a paid employment gig, you can't really know the ins and outs and the stresses and the triggers until you're in it. So unless he's had the opportunity to immerse himself in that experience full time and get a full, um, a fully immersed, you know, um, experience of all the stretching points and the conflicts and the tensions and the sudden changes in routine and and sleep, etc. He won't really understand that. So I would suggest that they probably um, get a little bit of practice and exposure to that first. And then there might be some awareness and self-insight that's built from that. And then they might be able to sit down and renegotiate some new ground. And that might not be, well, we end up with a 50-50 Um, exchange. It might be that perhaps you negotiate that one weekend or one day of the weekend you get a sleep in, for example. Or given that the partner does have to be fresh and up and running in the morning to interact with clients and go to work meetings, etc. Yes, they probably can't get up every single night in partnership with the mum, but they could negotiate that one night a week they might be on duty. And perhaps that one night a week is the Friday. Yeah. So that it's at the end of the week, no one has to get up in the morning necessarily. So it's just negotiating some new territory together. And what I find interesting about that is my kids are a lot older now. But when you were saying that, I'm like, oh, man, we need to to renegotiate. But that idea of sitting down and talking about it instead of getting resentful. Because even this morning when we're getting ready with the kids and my hubby leaves for work quite early, but he was there and he still wasn't doing anything with the kids. (laughs) And I was getting angrier and angrier. And I was like buddy, I need you to help at least put the breakfast things on the table. Yeah. But we we have such a routine now. Mm. Um, and to be honest, I'm probably best to be left on my own and the kids are used to me doing it with them. But there's no point being resentful. You, to actually sit down and say, 
this is really hard for me. Absolutely. I need your help. Yes. We don't do that enough, do we? Yeah, we really don't. And and the goalposts need to be renegotiated on a regular basis. Almost, you know, when your child is um, between 12 and 24 months, two years of age, um, there is so much developmental change in behaviour and key milestones and sleep routines that you can't Hard. afford to stick to the same routine for too long because your child is not going to be the same two or three months later. Mm. And that doesn't include just things like teething and illness, um, but it includes separation anxiety that crops up around the two to three year mark. So there's so many things that throw a spanner in the works and you do have to keep discussing how you're going to approach that. But I think also there's so much hidden work involved in parenthood and in particular motherhood these days. And sometimes it's um, it's hard to see what all of those tasks and those cumulative um, elements of load, mental load and physical load really are until you potentially write them down. So there, there is some value, I think, in mums sort of almost collecting a live diary of activities for the day and for the night so that they can show that to their partner and say, look, I know you think I'm not doing all that much as a stay-at-home mum all day because a lot of partners, to be fair, do think, what are you doing all day? Mm -hmm. You're washing a few dishes, you're putting the kids to sleep, you're making a few meals, what's the big deal, right? (laughs) But hello, it's actually a really exhausting, taxing, all-encompassing experience. And I think until you write down every little thing that you do and have to think about and preempt and forward plan for, your partner won't truly understand how that plays out. And I think um, before we move on to the next question, the other part about that is I know having done both that the difference between working in a, a business arrangement and work and, and doing stay-at-home care is that um, you're, you're trying to keep people alive. So unless you're a doctor or you're working in an emergency department, and I'm not saying it's that stressful, but the emotional, um, I guess, the emotional level of working at home is very different to work. You can be so independent at work. Yes. You don't have to worry about whether you can leave and have a coffee. Exactly. Because you can't leave and have a coffee when you're That's your exactly You can't right. just leave them at home. Yeah, they're absolutely dependent so you know, on you in every way. It's a psychological it is. experience. It's a different level of emotional commitment and dependency, yes. unlike anything else in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, that was helpful for me. I hope that <laughs> helped our, um, our stay-at-home mum with her babies and toddler. The next one is about a mother-in-law. Mm. Dear Kirsty, I have a problem with my mother-in-law. She tells me all the time how she did things back in her day and makes it very clear she disagrees with many of my parenting methods with my three and five-year-old boys. She says things like, he's going to turn into a spoiled brat. When I ask him whether he wants his sandwich cut in triangles or squares, for example, really it's just easier than the fight on my hands if I get it wrong. She's told my husband she thinks I'm too easy on the kids and that they both need a good smack. I just don't believe in smacking and I'm pretty offended. She thinks my lovely boys need a smack at all. I do discipline them, but I try to be fair and gentle. I mostly enjoy my mother-in-law's company until she comes out with something like this. I don't want to cause a confrontation, but it's bothering me enough to want to just snap at her sometimes. Is there a way I can sort this out without upsetting her, my husband, and, well, everyone? Mm. This does seem like a a fairly 
common um, conflict within families these days. But I have to say, it's not always just mother-in-laws that can have this sort of tense interaction. It can sometimes be your own parents that are behaving like this as well. And I think, obviously, it's bothering this particular person. Um, But there are a number of ways, I guess, that you could approach the situation. If you were someone that felt as though you had a tough enough skin or you were resilient enough to let it wash over you, that might be a skill that you might need to practice in time. (laughs) In other words, picking your battles and letting certain things wash over you because you may need to practice or reorganize your frame of mind in this case to realize it's actually not about you. It's potentially about them and their insecurities and their desire for control. So I often see someone interjecting and making judgments and trying to, you know, change the situation as them wanting to exert their control over the situation. And that's ultimately, it's not about you. It's about them. Right. right? So they're feeling like they have no power in that situation. So if you were a resilient enough person or you were happy enough to let, you know, it sort of wash off like water off a duck's back, you might just try to ignore it and practice Practice ignoring and practice, you know, some deep breathing exercises and, you know, this too shall pass might be one mentality you take. If, however, it does really build up and it starts to concern you and it starts to cause tension and a little bit of conflict and that bubbling resentment, I do think there are moments in time where it's worth addressing. And I often adopt the approach with a lot of my clients that sometimes you have to kill them with kindness. And what I mean by that is, demonstrating some appreciation and consideration of the fact that really at the end of the day, all they're really trying to do is help at the core. All they want to do is demonstrate their love. They may also have that element of control there, desire for control, but at the end of the day, they want to have a part in the process and that's what's fueling that response or that reaction. And they feel like they don't, they're not as included in the process as they would like to be. And when you um, appreciate and show kindness to someone that's really trying to dabble or meddle in your in your um, business, I think it can um, off offset that tension and offset some of that conflict or that feeling of aggression that's coming across. And so, in terms of killing them with kindness, you know, it's it's acknowledging and saying, "Look, I really appreciate that it it might have worked when you were raising." my husband and his siblings, for example, and I totally appreciate that that might have been an effective strategy. And I really appreciate that you're actually trying to help and support in this situation because you can see that I'm struggling or you can see that this is a challenging situation. But I also have to tell you, and this is where you assert yourself and you stand your ground and you start to set small boundaries with the other person to say, you know, I I do feel comfortable in my approach here and I do feel quite confident that this is what's working for us as a family unit. And whilst I can appreciate that you may have had your approach and your preferences in how you would have parented and disciplined your children, um, I would love it if you could respect that we also have our own methods of parenting and discipline for our children. And, you know, I am going to say no sometimes to you or I am going to say that I disagree with some of your approaches here and there, but I'd like you to respect that we might have to agree to disagree sometimes. And that has to be stated in a very calm, composed manner. So again, you might have to pick a time and a place to have this sort of conversation rather than when you're in the height of the moment and you're in the moment of disciplining your children in the act. Um, 
it might be worthwhile setting aside some time to have a coffee and sitting down with them. You first kill them with kindness and you show your love and appreciation for the fact that they want to be involved and you do want them to be involved and you want your kids to have a beautiful connection with their grandparents, for example. But at the same time, it's important for you to set boundaries and maintain that level of respect between each other as well. Ah, sounds hard. (laughs) It is hard. It's a challenge, absolutely. And look, I think for many people it takes a lot of repetition and a lot of practice, but it's something you might have to chip away at a little bit over time rather than letting it bubble up and culminate in a big explosive argument with someone. And having compassion for them and their perspective can definitely help to dull the... (laughs) Sharp edge. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and I do think it's important to get your partner on side as well and and to have a really good conversation with your partner to say, look, we have to be on the same page. What's our agreement here? How are we going to respond mutually to these situations? And it is really important that you back each other up in those moments. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck with that one. <laughs> Kirsty Levin will be back answering your questions about relationships on Helpline right after this. When you become a parent, you enter an exclusive club, one that only other parents can truly understand. I spent a lot of time running and yelling names. Come back, get back here. But I bought him one of those backpacks that had a lead, like, you know, a monkey one. Because it doesn't look as bad. Yeah, like a disguise. (laughs) The Parent Panel is a weekly podcast that invites adults to ponder the big questions of looking after small children with more than a bit of humour mixed in. Join us for The Parent Panel wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to your questions about relationships with Kirsty Levin. Here's one about friendship. I've been lucky enough to have a best friend since primary school who has been by my side through absolutely everything since then. A wonderful, fun, caring friend who always has my back. However, since my baby girl came along a year ago, things have changed between us. She only wants to catch up if it's without my daughter or partner. She says she just wants me back and that she never gets any real time with me anymore. She stopped inviting me to things like dinner with our friends, and a mutual friend did mention she recently said that I don't have any time for her anymore. I'm pretty heartbroken because, of course, I will always have time for my friend, but timing can just be hard these days. A baby's hard work, and sometimes, obviously, we'll need to catch up with my daughter present. I see that I need to do more to keep our friendship strong, but I'm also exhausted. I don't know what to do. Can our friendship be saved? Mm. That's a really hard one and and it can be really gut-wrenching, I think, when you've been so close to somebody for such a long time and then that dynamic really does shift. And it can be a really different experience for the two people, particularly if your friend hasn't got children. And so they're not immersed in that experience. They don't understand what it's like to be totally tapped out and exhausted and be really um, slim on time free, even for your partner, let alone your friendship circle. So it might be important for this particular mum to put themselves in their friend's shoes just for a moment to acknowledge that they might be grieving the loss of a friendship and that they really are feeling a deep sense of of loss and grief over this because they probably have invested a lot of time in it. And perhaps that's the same for the mum in question as well, that they're grieving the loss or the change of a friendship dynamic. Um, And I always believe in open and honest communication and you know, it is something that um, requires a bit of time and effort to cultivate and sort of, you know, fertilise fertilize the garden a little bit to help it grow and flourish. So 
I think there probably needs to be an open conversation where they can discuss the fact that, yes, the friendship has changed because there's a change in dynamic with a children, a child being introduced um, into, into that group. Um, and there might be moments where they can hang out together alone and have adult time. And I'm really a big, firm believer that friends do need to spend time alone as adults, as independent people at nighttime on a dinner date or something like that. And as fatigued and exhausted and stretched as we might feel, um, how often do we come home from a date with our friends feeling energized and inspired and totally fulfilled, like our cup is filled as a result of hanging out with our friends? And so as much as you might feel exhausted in the beginning, I always believe it's well worth putting that effort in to make a date with our friends alone because it actually can turn our energy levels around. But then I also think it's important for that friend to understand and to have that conversation around the fact that we will have to hang out together with my child with us sometimes and that this mum might really want to cultivate a beautiful relationship between their friend and their child and to hopefully get their friend to see that there's huge value in that. Wouldn't it be a gorgeous thing to have, you know, auntie so-and-so come along to hang out with us as a family in future and have them as this beautiful confidant to your child in future um, and and to grow as a, as a unit together rather than just the two that go off by themselves periodically. So I think if you can encourage that conversation and help them see value in both of those dynamics but also try to invest a little bit of time in scheduling and forward thinking and planning out how you might be able to catch up with each other in future. Mm. It's really worthwhile. And I'm a massive fan of forward planning. Like my (laughs) calendar is scheduled to the hilt. I have um, social activities planned months and months and months in advance because I know I can't see friends every week. I might see some of my friends once a quarter, if that, but I know if it's in my calendar and it's a regular scheduled catch-up and everyone's aware of it, I'm much more likely to commit to it than just dropping a line to my friend saying, yeah, we must catch up soon. Sure, let's grab a coffee. And then you never check in again for the next few months. There's nothing that happens in my life unless it's in my diary. Exactly. If it does, if it's spontaneous, it's very exciting, but it's quite rare. Exactly. So it's got to be agreed. It's got to be discussed. And um, hopefully there can be a little bit of reframing of thinking on both their parts to see the value. Because I was going to say that um, also from the friend's perspective, if the mother, the one with the baby, is trying to schedule in time and trying to make the effort and include her friend, then friendship's a two-way street. A friend also has to acknowledge that. This is just the way it's going to be. Because yeah. some people don't like the um, way parents stop being spontaneous. Yes. They're like, oh, yeah, what's wrong with you? That's so boring. And you're yes. like, no, 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 this is how shit gets done. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. All right. We have a question about parenting. Mm. My partner and I disagree on discipline tactics for our three children aged two, five and seven. He believes in a smack when the kids do something wrong and is quite strict with them at times. I thought I would be fairly strict as a parent too, but it turns out I prefer a gentle approach and really hate smacking my children. Mm. It's been causing a lot of tension between my husband and I. Is there anything we can do to get to common ground here? Oh, that is a really tricky one. The conflict of parenting styles. Um, Look, I think... You know, we all know that there's enough research now to indicate that smacking is really not as effective as 
our former generations thought it might be, that it results in ultimately feelings of fear and shame and it doesn't really teach a child about what they could do differently or how to alter their behaviour and ultimately it can have really negative impacts on a child's development and mental health and behaviour in the future. Um, So we know all that and that's really clear. Um, So from that point of view, it may be worthwhile um, helping your partner to go through some of that research and to gather a little bit of information to get a different perspective on the outcomes of that form of discipline, for example. So that's, that's one option, is doing a little bit of knowledge digging and information sharing together to see the impact of, of this approach. Um, but then it's probably worthwhile having that conversation with your partner to say, is this how you, you were raised? And, and reflect back on your, um, your childhood experience and how your parents disciplined you. And if that was the case and they were smacked as a child, how did that really make you feel as a kid? Um, a lot of parents will say, oh, well, I was smacked as a child and I turned out all right and it's it's all good, you know. I've heard <laughs> Didn't have an so effect on me. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's all good and well that they turned out okay. But if you ask them to really think back to that moment when they were smacked for something, and it could have been trivial or it could have been big at the time, asking them how they felt and asking them what emotions were were generated from that experience in that time it can really have a big impact. And if they really truly reflect on that, I doubt very much that an adult would truly say, oh, well, that smack in that moment had no effect on me. Big deal that I was walloped on the bottom, you know. They'll probably say, yeah, it hurt. And I cried and I ran away and I felt really embarrassed. And then I was scared of my parents that night because I was scared to do something else that might, you know, lead to the same result. So, I think by reflecting on that experience, it might bring up some empathy on the dad's part, potentially generates a a bit of connection with their child to understand the feeling um, as a result of that form of discipline. But then together they have to come up with a better way and a mutual understanding of how they're going to approach it. And perhaps there's opportunity there for a bit of education or training on some new approaches. So there are some amazing programs out there for parenting support and education, like Circle of Security, for example. Um, there's some great books that you can read. One, Two, Three Magic, I think, is a book from memory that's great on um, giving you some tips and strategies for toddler behaviour, for example. Um, and reading or listening to podcasts like Janet Lansbury, Unruffled podcast is fabulous for understanding um, children's behaviour and developmental stages and how to effectively respond to their needs. So um, hopefully they're both willing to upskill a little bit, build their awareness and understanding of what works best in those situations and they can actually train together and come up with some new methods together Mm. that they mutually agree on. All right, we have time for one last question. Mm. I'm going to end with a doozy. Uh, I'm worried that my marriage is failing since we had children. It's been so stressful. With baby number one suffering severe reflux and Mm. baby number two having constant ear infections and hospitalizations with various illnesses, our parenting journey has been pretty full on. We're both just completely tapped out and have no time for each other anymore. We fall into bed without even a kiss goodnight most nights and it's breaking my heart. I think we're both feeling resentful of the whole situation. We don't know how to reach each other after 
after another hard day. Is there anything I can do to help bring us back together after all the stress of the past few years? Oh, I feel sad and tired just hearing that. That's, <laughs> it is sad. Um, and it's so, so common. And even when um, health issues or reflux or sleepless challenges aren't in the mix, you're still completely stretched as parents when you have the perfect unicorn baby. <laughs> so to have those added challenges thrown into the mix can make it really, really tough, really hard. Um, Esther Perel has this really interesting um, comment that she makes about what happens to parents um, when they do lose that connection and they stop making that effort with each other. And she says that they just become operational managers of the household, basically, just passing ships in the night, getting stuff done. And it sounds like that's kind of what's happening here. And to be honest, I think it requires a little bit of a shift outside the comfort zone and a little bit of effort to circuit break and change the dynamic. So it was mentioned there that, you know, they lie together at night or something or other and, they you know, they don't know how to connect with each other. They just go straight to sleep without kissing each other goodnight. And someone has to circuit break in that situation, right? Yeah. It doesn't take all that much to reach across and hold someone's hand. It doesn't take that much to cuddle up yet next to your partner at night time or to give them a little kiss on the cheek when they wake up in the morning or go to sleep or leave for work, for example. But someone has to make themselves vulnerable, make themselves uncomfortable and just do it in that moment. And I really believe that practicing those little circuit breakers over and over and over will eventually form a new habit. So there's that saying that it takes, or the research indicates that it takes between 21 and 28 days to form a new habit, right? So it involves a little bit of repetition to get that going again. It might be really hard to actually have those conversations because you're so tapped out and you're so stretched that you do need to just go to sleep at the end of the night or you do need to just mindlessly watch TV together and sit on the couch and have quiet time. But that doesn't mean that you don't have to do that tiny circuit break of just holding hands and snuggling on the couch. And then bit by bit, there may be opportunities where you can say to each other, it's really lovely that you're touching me. It's really lovely and I adore the fact that you've just given me a kiss on the cheek. Um, let's go from there and then start implanting moments or, or scheduling little moments where we actually do set aside time to check in with each other and talk to each other. So you might shift it from something that's a little bit surface to something that's a little bit deeper in time because it can take time to build up that level of comfort and that level of openness again with your partner. But I do think it starts with the little things. It starts with the little kiss, the little cuddle, even the little post-it note that shows appreciation for your partner and it all grows from there. Oh, brilliant. That's such good advice. Well, that's all we have time for on Helpline today and uh, this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you're watching, watching along live on the Babyology Facebook page, thanks for tuning in. And Kirsty Levin will be back next week to answer more questions. So if you're a bit shy of popping them up on Facebook and you <laughs> prefer to remain anonymous, just send us an email to helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. Kirsty, thanks so much. Thank you. This has been Helpline on Feed, Play, Love, hosted by me, Siobhan Hunt. If you want to ask Kirsty Levin your questions for our next episode of Helpline, you can email them to us directly. The email is helpline at theparentbrand.com.au. The first few months of motherhood can be tough, which is why we've got Amy Taylor-Kabaz on our next episode of Feed, Play, Love. 
we're our own worst enemies. As the mothers, we're the ones that don't prioritise ourselves very well at all. So that's where the awareness and the education is really important. Amy is the author of Happy Mama, The Guide to Finding Yourself Again. She's got some really great tips on how you can keep your sanity and feel calm in the midst of the joyful chaos that's having a new baby. That's on the next episode of Feed, Play, Love. Debbie Ning is our producer and I'm your host, Siobhan Hunt. Hunt. 